Hello and welcome to Politricking with myself, C.D. Madia. This is episode 21 of season 3 of a politics podcast by Eyewitness News. We are still in August, still celebrating phenomenal, interesting, fascinating women who in one way or another have pioneered and set the tone and set the pace that we now follow and specifically this week's guest really is that for me you know she is and i I keep thinking her whole existence is quite political because she broke the mold right she is that for me she is a black woman who was young and vibrant at a time where you did not see those people on our television screens asking questions critical questions upsetting people making people laugh making people um think a little bit deeper about who and what we are as a society but before then let me also say this week's episode i think should be called the td my dear birthday week episode it's my birthday week and i'm really excited and like i said this week's guest is a pioneer bar none before oprah winfrey as a young south african as a child in this country i knew of may felicia mabuza subtle and I'm sure every one of you listening thinks about what she looked like. You always think about how sharp, how eloquent, how beautiful she looked. But you also think about the conversations she used to host on our television shows. So she joins me now via Zoom. She's in Atlanta. And we have a conversation about women, right? About the youth, about her love for this country. Because she says, though her body's in Atlanta, her heart very much remains here at home. We celebrate Mephilisha Mabuza Sattel. Here's that conversation. Mephilisha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, T.D. And um, as I said, thanks to Clement for connecting us. But um, I, he is fun. I had so much fun with him and laughed a lot. But more to the women in South Africa, I want to say hello, hello. I miss you all. And say keep going. Stay strong. And, um, and I'm so happy to see you, T.D., having taken that mic. And you are running the race successfully. Thank you, Mom Felicia. That means a lot. I'm glad but, that... Mm. But quickly, you were talking about how I dressed, etc. Quite interesting because I was just giving a seminar the other day and I said, when a man speaks, we listen and then we look. But when a woman speaks, we look and if we don't like what we see, we don't, we stop listening. So it's quite interesting how... With women, it has a lot to do with how they look, how they speak. Uh, Kamala Harris is said to have a shrill voice. Hillary was criticized for her outfits. So it's quite interesting. And no one says anything about how a man looks. But anyway, let's get into it. (laughs) That is important, actually, because... You speak to me as a big woman and I have to fight a little bit harder to make my point Mm -hmm. heard, to make an impression, to make people believe my work is worthwhile. And even I'm saying Mm -hmm. to you, what I remember about you from my childhood is how beautiful Mm -hmm. you looked. That hasn't actually changed. That hasn't evolved Uh in any way in how we treat women as the world, has it? Not at all. Not at all. It still continues. But um, 
in fact, I don't know if you know, yesterday I put out a tweet really about uh, on Women's Day and I was listening to the song. I just somehow went deep into the archives and it's by the Real Sisters. It talks about a woman of love. Um, she's a strength from above. She's strength for, for the nation. Um, she loves manifestation. We don't get it. Um, women of choice has peace in her voice. The greatest love of all is what she gives, the love that she gives. And I think if we really understand what women are about, that's what we really are in our homes, in the corporate world, in government, etc. That's what we bring, that kinder and gentler touch, if you want to call it that, to our society. Why is it, though, if that's the gift, the society still uses that against us? We're still seen in corporate spaces, um, from your perspective, as being weak when you showcase a little bit of that. I've gone through so many corporate battles that um, I could share some of them. In fact, even just hitting the TV screens there in South Africa. I I knew I was coming with something that I that could bring a nation together. I knew I had answered to that call, that Mandela call, the clarion call to all South Africans living abroad to come back home to serve. I truly believe if I was a man who had responded to that call in that way, he would have been so welcomed by 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 the by the country immediately but i found that when i got there white men questioned my arrogance this black woman sitting at the board table with me or at the executive table with me when i was with saa um and played quite an in, in, integral role in in uh, in changing the colors of the plane etc I was part of their executive team. Then I thought, okay, white women would accept me because they are women. They understand my my struggles, etc. But no, it was like, who is that black woman with so much aggression, as they would call it, or American confidence, as some would even call it, who um, dresses like me, and should instead be in my kitchen. Okay, fine. Then came a black man. I thought, okay, brothers are going to accept me. But I was questioned for questioning the um, customs and traditions of our society, Lobola, polygamy, etc. But it was not me. I don't think people realize that I was just getting the conversation into the hearts and minds of people and studio audience really were talking. In fact, I sometimes tease say, no, I just moved the mic. I never really talk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then came, I thought, okay, the black women, we're all black women. We all understand the struggle. Let us bend together and understand what I'm trying to do here. But I must say, Tzidi, my harshest critics were my own. Uh, sisters to a great extent, but the people who stood for me, who said we can see what she's doing, what how it's going to open up paths for us, were your generation. 
the younger people, and that's why I enjoyed doing these these uh, studio audiences of young people because I could see that's the next generation. And um, the rest is history, but uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I now is... could ramble on forever. Mom Felicia, but now... Oh, well over two decades after the fact, you aren't living here. You had heeded a call to come back home, but now you're away. And that connection between this generation and you, from what I can see, remains strong. You speak now about Clement. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, you heard what I said at the start of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and by and large, I viewed you almost as a social activist, particularly garnered and directed towards the youth. Is my assessment wrong in understanding how you understood your work? I understood my work in the sense that I knew I was carrying on the baton from women that brought me up. Women who taught me bravery, courage, to stand on the right side of history You cannot be what you cannot see. That's what I always say. Um, Ellen Kuzoya, for example, I mean, we called her the mother of Soweto. She used to say, if you can rise, bring someone with you. I never went to that board table or that um, into that organization without thinking of bringing another young woman in. Um, I never went to that got that position and thought, I'm going to hold it forever. I always wanted to make sure there's going to be another young woman who is going to come forward and take that position. I always try to pull up a chair for the next woman. I said to women, bring your own, to use Shirley Chisholm's words, bring your own folding chair if they don't allow you in and put your way in there. I was brought up by women like uh, Sally Motlana who lived at my, in my home one uh, in Sofar Town when I was growing up. And she used to love teaching us English. I remember she was a teacher. When petty apartheid was abolished, she's the one who said, we don't want our shackles polished. We want them removed. Stand on the right side of history. And I always had that in my mind, to make good trouble, in the words of John Lewis, to make good trouble, necessary trouble. When I see wrong, I will always try to correct whenever I can. I believe in equity. I believe in fairness. Another woman, if I may mention, I really wanted to be like her was Miriam Makeba. Mm. I wanted to sing like Miriam Makeba. And um, as a little tiny thought for a woman called Andrew uh, Emily Mtsielo, we would we were literally curtain raisers once in Crockstart. I never forget that for Miriam Makeba and the Manhattan Brothers. I was a little six, seven year old, and I was singing my heart out because I wanted to be like Miriam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's an artist uh, named Simpuya Dana who says the exact same thing as you do. Uh-huh. A few months ago, where of course she stayed and trying to f- figure out where, you know, where did she go, her footsteps, the influence of her music. It's one of those things that makes me think about the many women. And you speak a lot about the different women that have had a lot of influence in your life. 
Yes, Marina Maponya for me in business. I used to watch her. We were neighbors and I would stand on a balcony and just watch her driving out dressed beautifully and looking regal and saying, one day that's going to be me. I'm going to be like that woman. And she literally helped me towards thinking business-wise, thanks to my grandfather and Tate Maponi, I should say, who um, was also very influential in my life. Um, Helen Sussman, I mean, we, I know some people say, oh, a white woman? Yes, Helen Sussman was a typical example of how a woman alone can literally prick the conscience of men. She used to say, I stand for simple justice equal opportunity and human rights. And that's what we should continue doing. Winnie Mandela, for me, her courage is something that exemplified what all women need to do. Even if you stand alone, stand on the right side of history. So anyway, I could Mm. ramble away with the number (laughs) of women that I really looked up to and tried to live their 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 significance. Mm. Mum you know, growing up here and now living in Atlanta, I mean, thirty years on, there were ideals that we wanted, well at least the adults wanted for the country. You had a vision, there was a shared vision of what South Africa ought to be. Thirty years on, you are not in the country. What do you yearn for for South Africa, even as far away as you are at the moment? Wow. I always say my body is in America, but my heart is in South Africa. I am praying, really, because sometimes prayer is the only answer. Praying for a South Africa that can rekindle that magic that we had after 1994. I remember seeing so many people come to South Africa wanting to be part of this new South Africa. I remember my first delegation when I was working at uh, the city of Atlanta as communications director then. I led a delegation of about 36 legislators and political people. 1992, I think it was around April, yeah. And that's when I had the opportunity to really have an interview with Tata Mandela those years. And I always put that little picture of me looking so cute (laughs) sitting next to Tata Mandela. But when that delegation, even were fortunate, there was the Carlton Hotel, to bump into Mr. Mandela coming out from a conference. They just wanted to touch his jacket, touch his hand. I mean, they literally bombarded him. And he was so gracious. So for me, that was the beginning of really making Americans where I live um, start really thinking about South Africa. So when Mandela came here for his international tour, there was more interest now in wanting to come to South Africa. At the 1994 inauguration, some people just literally, there was a delegation we took South Africa. They, met, they somehow got into that stadium. I remember this one reverend, she's tall, six feet tall. 
She said, I did not have any clearance, but I just walked in there with confidence and no one even stopped me. And as I say that, I kind of, I have a little tear in my eye because I remember Miriam Makeba in one of my shows mentioning that she was not allowed in. She was asked, where are your credentials? She said, my face is my credentials and what I've done for South Africa, my credentials, and was turned back. I wish I could find that show again. I must dig deep into the archives again. But uh, so I just want to see a South Africa again where I know I use this word so loosely all the time. Sometimes I'm criticized for it. Where Ubuntu starts, where we have Ubuntu again, you know, I, I help my sisters and, and my cousins here, and I say each time I send them something, a little something, and that's what we used to do. That's what we were taught to do by these women that I just mentioned. My grandmother included was part of the the Zenzela YWCA, and Dr. Kuma's wife, Maddie Hall, started the Zenzele YWCA, and I used to watch them. I used to listen to them as a little girl. And I knew that one day I will be able to bring young people together, women together, Marina Maponya with her her deputants. It So I saw women do things with children, with mm-hmm. young people, and I knew I can also do the same. And I said to young women, Take on the baton. Just bring young people together as we did in, 19, in the mid-70s. I had this dance school. It was really not a dance school. It was, as Steve Biko said, it was a way of conscientizing young people about uh, what was happening in the country and that they should also take action at some point. Some of them were part of the 76 student unrest. We used to dance to songs like Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And it was not the dance, it was the song. When the officials would come in, they would not even realize that it is the song, not the dance, that uh, they should be concentrating on. And the lyrics, yes, the message. Yeah, those years were not allowed to gather in big numbers, remember? Um, and then um, those dance to songs like To Be Young, Gifted and Black. They'll dance to songs like, again, Ubuntu, Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand. And that's why it became my signal tune even later. So that's roughly what I am dreaming for, to see a South Africa that is cherished by the international world and coming to South Africa and they'll be safe, more importantly. Um, I've heard a lot and I've read a lot about gender-based violence. We talked about gender-based violence in the early 90s and we are still talking about it 2023. Nothing seems to have happened. Together we can stand against injustice, racism, misogyny, there's just so much happening that we really need to put our hearts and souls to what is happening in our country. And guess who can do it? Women, because we did it and or they did it really in 1956. Manfilisha, how do you think, why do you think 
we haven't been able to move away from a conversation like gender-based violence. Why does it feel to some people that the work done, and there's lots of work done, and part of your legacy is that, to deal with the issue of women empowerment. But to people, it does somewhat feel like there's been a regression. Why do you think that's happened to us? I, again, as I say, I'm far away to be able to fully grasp the the truth and what is really happening. But um, I really don't even know how to respond to that. I think Ratsaba, we are scared. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to stand alone. And sometimes you have to stand alone to make a difference. Um, Ratsaba, we are scared. We, we've moved away from that uh, whole concept of um, alone, I can go fast. Together we can all we can go even longer. The expression that says that we are all into me, myself, and I versus what we were brought up with, we, our, us. So I am concerned about this. It's all about self instead of about our. And we don't realize this itself will rise alone. But if it's our we will be able to help others also rise, as Makuzoy rightly says. And then the issue, though, Ma, of um, this particular month, and you've kind of said it to me because you've spoken a lot about the women and the different women that have played an impactful role in your life, but the importance of celebrating the generation of 1956. Again, you are far, but you re- we remain tuned into you. We continue to love you even from afar. And you continue to celebrate a lot of women from the country. Yes, I, I really do. Uh, because I, in my own way, call it arrogance if you want to, I really came with something completely different in South Africa. And I know we are all different. And I know some of the folks compared it to American talk shows, etc., we did not have an American talk show. Let me make it straight, say bluntly, we did not. I wrote my master's thesis on the whole Lakota Indaba concept and how my grandfather, they used to go into the village and they would hold these uh, Lakotas with the villagers. And that's where I used to see the, 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 the idea. When I wrote my master's, and yes, Phil Donahue was the person who made me realize that, hmm, I can turn this into what I call an African Lakota, an African Indaba. So I then wrote my thesis saying talk show is an African concept. It is not an American concept. Yes, in America, they are used as back, audiences used as a backdrop and they're clapping their hands half the time. They don't talk. Mm. What we did, we had, we brought the people into studio to come and raise their concerns, to come and talk about how they, it, we can resolve the problems of the village, of our village. Um, we brought in experts who sat with them and exchanged words with them. Um, so don't tell me that we copied the Americans. We did not. The Americans have so much to come and copy from South Africa. The other thing they used to do, 
They don't understand that all these other American talk shows have close to 100, 200 people working on them. Pat yourselves on the back, South Africa. Pat yourselves on the back. We did it with four. If we had five people working on the show, we we thought we had an army. We were excited to do that. From the research to camera angles to whatever, I used to be part of that team before we go in. Warming up the audience, we had to literally make people feel comfortable, educate some people about how to look or sound on television, etc. So we went through so much before we even did a show. Mm. We would record a Friday night, two possibly on Saturday and two possibly on a Sunday because of budgetary concerns. So the day we start patting ourselves on the back as South Africans, then we will realize that we are a greater people than we even thought we were. Mm. I love that you're saying, do you ever sit back and go, I did that? Like, do you recognize, do you pat yourself on the back and understand how much of a legend you are? Because before Oprah, I knew Felicia Mabuza Sattle as a child. And like Americans, people are like, come on, people, no. We did it differently. But yes, you're right. I do sit back, and that's why maybe I'm, thanks to the young people who've asked me to post some of these old shows and just give them an idea what it was all about. So when I do find one, I'll definitely put in a little clip, thanks to the SABC and ET for allowing me to do that. And um, then pe- young people will be like, we need this again. We need this. And yes, you, you do. CD, you are one person I think should literally think about it. But I always say that your 20s and 30s are a time where you're going through your education and experience trying to find where you want to go. Your 40s and 50s is where you explore and make an impact, make develop what we call your success. And then um, your 60s really, in my opinion, is where you really live your significance. And you can still live your significance in the in your 50s. And I'm using my chart in life and what's happening. Now, now that I'm 30, I'm enjoying just reflecting. <laughs> I love that you're better. a 30-year-old. That's why. Yeah, say, <laughs> it's my birthday week. <laughs> yeah, I used to say 29, but then some lady went to the airport. <laughs> So what are you doing now in your 30s? Yeah. In my 30s, I'm enjoying and reflecting and going back and saying, wow, you did the best you can and sharing it with young people. And then if I hit 80, I say to, to God, let me rest and cherish each day because tomorrow is not promised. And even now, I mean, tomorrow is not promised. So I'm literally enjoying I call it my 30s, yeah, those 670s enjoyed and cherished my legacy. And that's why I'm, I go back to these shows and I post them all the time. And thanks to the young people who've asked me to do that. And because you cannot be what you cannot see. They're going to see me and they're going to do what I possibly did like you are right now. And that's what you said. You cannot be what you cannot see. 
Absolutely. I like that you're enjoying what your Hillary, thesis. Hillary, yeah, Hillary, <laughs> Hillary Clinton said, uh, to every little young girl, you can be whatever you want, even pr- become a president. And I believe that is it. Mam Felicia, if you could have one more season of your show, what would you want to focus on? Oh, let me tell you one thing. If I could have one more season of my show and be as sharp as I was, because as I'm looking at these clips, I'm like, wow. In fact, I was looking at a show that I did with African-Americans living in South Africa, and it ended up being a front-page story on the Wall Street Journal. And I said, let me just check this show out. And I looked at it, and I said, my gosh, we were working that studio I'm not sure how I ran up and down those stairs the way I used to without huffing and puffing. <laughs> so if you had the energy. <laughs> if, if I'm, I mean, it was called adrenaline. And I literally sent back a message to everybody that I had sent the show to. I said, damn, I was good. And I, I mean it. If you cannot say, damn, I was good or damn, I am good. No one else is going to toot your your horn for you. Toot your own horn. Because instead they're sitting on on that compliment because they don't want uh, more people to know you were good. So stop letting people who do not recognize your worth play an active role in your life and interfere with your greatness. I saw that tweet yesterday and I literally retweeted it because that's what's happening. We're waiting for somebody else to tell us we are good and we are worthwhile or we are worthy. No, tell yourself like I do every morning and I wake up, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, city, and I put my makeup on in the morning. I don't answer the phone and look. I don't look do anything. Even to my granddaughter, I do not go on the phone without my makeup and looking good and lipstick, badge of courage, I call it, <laughs> and talk to my granddaughter. So, um, Tabe Kalafeng used to tease, say, and it's true, Felicia always has an outfit over on her chair, so in case anything happens, just to run out, she grabs that outfit and dresses into it. So if and, the fire uh, happens, you will be ready. Yep, the fire happened and she's looking good, and I'm explaining why the fire happened, and I have my outfit on, and she said, Joshua says that there's got an outfit on and the chair. And he's right. It's true. I do. All right. I'm pretty much done. Thank you so much for your time. But before I let you go, just two things. Um, the lessons a South Africa gives to a country like yours. Um, I just got back from there. It's a highly polarized place, America. Uh-huh. What lessons do you yeah. often look at and think, Geez, if they could be more like us, if a little bit of Ubuntu, a little bit of cool heads, what are your thoughts on a day-to-day basis on what a South Africa teaches a world like America? You know, the many people that I send to South Africa, and I'm the type that stops anybody and encourages them to go. I'm sure you see that on my tweets, someone said, how do you strike a conversation with everybody like that? Because I believe in South Africa, believe in what I'm sending them to go and enjoy, uh, a beautiful scenery, um, uh, the warmth of our people, the hospitality we give people. I tell the the, the guys who come and uh, do a paint or they 
helping me in the house. The ladies who help me clean the house once every week say, do you know you're the only person who gives us water in a sandwich? Because it's just an African thing to do. One of them said, you're the only person I know who gives us a thank you card with a check in it. Because that's Ubuntu that I was brought up with by the women I mentioned. They taught me that. That's really what it's all about for me. Mm. And that's what I know we give as South Africans. There's no place as beautiful as South Africa, and I've traveled quite often. I tend to agree with that. And your message for young women, the TDs who keep saying to you, your mere existence, for me at least, is a love letter to who and what I ought to be as a young journalist, as a young woman, as an African. I say no one and nothing should stop you from living your dream. So go ahead, go and do it, because no one is going to do it for you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, ma'am. We thank you I for existing. It. We thank you for pioneering. I thank you. I thank Clement <laughs> for making this happen for me. He's a good friend. <laughs> oh, he's a lovely person. So keep your focus on your focus, girl. I will do exactly that, ma'am. Thank you. All righty. Thank you. That's it from us. A special thank you to Lerato Herfler and Didi Sotwala. For Eyewitness News, my name is TD Madia.